0: and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started.
1: Hi, my name is Adam Homie. I am your host, and I am honored once again by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. The Business Creators Radio Show takes you into the field where you have those aha moments and mastermind meetings that can change your life and bring you closer to serving from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. You may hear birds chirping, cars driving by, ambient noise from a nearby table. But are these the things you hear when you have these encounters that transform your trajectory? Right now, as I sit out on my balcony here in Las Vegas, known to some as the hottest city in America, I'm not sure how good my noise cancellation is on my headphones, but you might hear an air conditioner running in the background because I can sure as hell hear it. This is where it happens. It's not in some soundproof $25,000 Hollywood studio. It's not in your office and it's not in some formal, as Jack Welsh would like to say, pompous ass thing. This is how it really works in the world. And we love the mastermind format of our episodes and i am very excited about today's topic it's timeless and it's something that we can candidly never really get enough information about if you ask me and this is going to be about business taxation and we have somebody here who has a really interesting take on it we're going to talk about taxation for business we're going to talk about uh, tax planning we're going to discuss cash flow Management. It's one thing to have accounting based on compliance. It's another to have accounting based on strategic planning. And that's the bridge that we're going to gap for you or that we're going to close the gap for you on today. To guide us in this journey, we have John Briggs. He is the founder of Insight Tax and Consulting. So he's also the author of a book called Profit First. micro gyms, which are small gyms. He's an accountant and accomplished business entrepreneur with a mission to help other brick and mortar business owners achieve their goals without burning out. He has more gym clients than any other firm in the United States, as well as thousands of other client driven businesses. John knows firsthand the stress and unknown hurdles that come with starting a new business. And he guides entrepreneurs to financial success through cash flow management, while also banishing The toxic CPA culture of being overworked and underpaid. Now, before I introduce John, I'm just to say on a personal note, when I started my business in 2003 as a side hustle, before I created a virtual team and uh, leverage and all that, the very first thing I did was found a really good CPA who's also a CIE, which is Certified Internal Auditor, who understands not only tax compliance, but also tax planning. He's been a priceless asset to my business. Has guided me through so many things and has enabled me to have a fundamental understanding of how the numbers of my business work without having to have my head split open with a migraine (laughs) over trying to fill out the damn paperwork. And he is done a great job of fulfilling his mission of making sure that my business complies with every single federal, state, and local requirement in terms of what we need to file, what we need to pay, and not a damn cent more. At the same time, taking a forward-looking strategy of how do we make the cash flow work to achieve our investment attraction goals. And with all that, when I share all that because I feel the gentleman we're about to meet is of a similar caliber which is why i'm so excited to speak with him john briggs come on in the weather's fine
2: (laughs) thanks for having me adam i'm excited to be here
1: okay i hate numbers but uh one thing about my cpa is he loves numbers he geeks out on them so what we want to do is we want to go to brilliance and passion before you share with us some of the points you brought up in the green room that we're going to work our way through tell us a bit i read off your official bio very impressive not sure i'm worthy to be here and this is my show uh tell us a bit about your journey in your own words and what's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. In other words, the behind the curtain and between the lines view.
2: Yeah. So I have a master's degree in tax from BYU and BYU does a really good job of teaching accountants like most accounting programs, how to become a cog in the wheel of the accounting industry. And I, Experienced that with Deloitte, one of the big four um, billion dollar company. And when I was working there, I noticed there was some massive inefficiencies. To one end, was with me getting promoted and rewarded based on my billable hours. Yet I didn't control my workflow. There was only like one or two people in the entire office that control the workflow for everybody. And uh-huh. if you're more efficient than everybody else. Uh, you could get penalized because you're not necessarily controlling workflow. So I actually spent a lot Uh of time going around asking other people when I was done with my work, Hey, do you have something else for me to work on? And what I noticed is with the way model, the billing model works is clients eat that inefficiency. Like just because the office can't manage itself or have more autonomy, clients are paying bills that are, higher than they should be because you have team members working on it who don't want to be penalized for being more productive than the other people. Yeah. That was kind of my intro to like, wow, I don't know if I love this. I love the work, but the industry, this kind of stinks. Um, and through experience of working in two other smaller firms, I decided to go on my own and really rewrite the way that accountants are treated by their employers Um, we, our accountants averaged 43 hours a week during tax season this last year. Wow. Yeah. Where I I
1: I think, I think my CPA averaged 43 hours per day.
2: Right. Exactly. Um, so you have the small business owners on one hand who are like, they're just so overworked and they're trying to get through it with the deadlines. And you have the big four who require a minimum of 55 hours a week worked. And in order to get the 55 minimum to not be fired, it's really 65 hours of real life. And that's just to not be fired. So, um, we have a really good thing going on here and I'm thrilled to try to change the accounting industry. And in the meantime, saving our clients a crap ton of money when it comes to keeping the money in their pocket, as opposed to paying uncle Sam.
1: Yeah, I think that's, I think that's great. And you know, I, when I worked in corporate, I encountered some of the same stuff. It's like uh, actually getting punished for doing a really good job <laughs> and being told by my supervisor uh, unofficially, but very clearly to take it easy. Remember, there's plenty for tomorrow. And if people see me doing a lot of great stuff, they're going to give me more great stuff to do. And that builds a lot of resentment when, The person in the cubicle next to you uh, is only even has their job because of nepotism, and they spend the entire day screaming into the phone, arguing with their significant other. Or, and this was back twenty years ago, uh, back in the day before memes, as we understand them, as you may recall from twenty years ago, memes were email forwards. So (laughs) I remember, I remember once I'm I'm diligent, uh, doing a good job, I'm actually innovating something, and meanwhile, I have to listen to somebody. Who forwarded a funny email to twelve people and then called each of them to have a conversation about the email? Mm, yeah. And then me and and now on the other end, you're telling me that in these corporate accounting firms you work for, you were mandated to actually work fifty five hours a week just to keep your job, and. And and you point out the fact that fifty five a fifty five hour work week is actually a sixty five hour work week once you throw in things like commuting, all the stuff that's not you actually working uh, per se on clients, uh, the meetings, the political bullshit, and everything else. So by the time you're done being required to do fifty five hours a week, well, what if you can? What if you can do somebody's tax return in two hours? Then what do you do? You bring you bring up that point, like for example, and and. Through our conversation, I'm going to keep comparing to my own situation just because it illustrates your points and the validity of them, is uh, for my company's business filings and my own personal filings, that barely takes 10 hours per year Mm. because of how streamlined our processes are. It does not take long at all. But I could see you, but I could see becoming a client of one of those corporate, corporate tax firms and have my stuff being handed to you, and you being told, you have to find a way to spend 20 hours on me.
2: Yeah, and if you get it done sooner, um, you know, when we look at your data, you're going to have less billable hours than the other guy who is taking 40 hours on that return.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, how I mean, how long does it take to do a to do a, a business and a personal tax filing on an S corp limited liability company with one managing partner that's in the mid range of six digits. I mean how, how long does that really take?
2: Yeah, I mean you're an yeah. hour ish, not yeah. not 10.
1: It's, it's, especially when it's all in QuickBooks already and most of what you have to do is reconciliations, run run reports to get balance sheets and other and data is based on classification and plug it into the 1120s. I mean, how hard is that? Yeah. Makes I mean I, I mean I mean I don't want to do it myself. But I can read my eleven twenty yes well enough to understand where every single one of the numbers in it comes from.
2: Yeah. So I mean, obviously, this was this is a massive problem, um, <laughs> and it yeah. doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure it out that they're just. How about we just do the work for the amount of time it takes us, and then we move on to the next thing? Uh, we're all about value creation in our company. That's one of our big models. And if you can get through a return in thirty minutes, then get through a return in thirty minutes. That I mean, that's one of the reasons why we can stay down to forty-two hours, is because when we're working, we're focused. Let, we're yeah. efficient. We're capable people. Uh huh. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, yeah. I, I prefer to pay somebody who knows it so well they can work efficiently. Uh, to me, that to me that tells me they know what they're doing, uh, rather than having to go back and look everything up.
2: <laughs> yes.
1: I mean, that, that's a confidence builder for me when somebody tells me they can do it in less time. In fact, I'm inclined to pay them more because I have a higher level of confidence I'm not paying for their training. hmm Yeah. So in your view, and let's look at this first of all from the business owner's perspective, what is one of the greatest challenges they face concerning their finances?
2: Oh, you know, the one of the greatest challenges that we come across is they're not giving themselves adequate time to focus on it. They're kind of using the hope and pray method, which isn't a great business strategy. It's like, hey, you know what? Revenue, great. I'm going to try to grow my revenue. It's super sexy. Lots of shiny objects out there to help us get more revenue. And hopefully if I get enough revenue, there's going to be money left over after I pay all these bills. So they're not really taking the time to even see Do I need all these bills? Maybe I overcommitted or have some unnecessary expenses. Um, Maybe I have clients who actually I'm losing money on. Uh, Sometimes we get thrilled by the client who's willing to pay us, you know, say 10 grand a month. And then we realize, but it's costing me $8,000 of labor. And if that $8,000 of labor was uh, serving other clients at a higher you know, efficiency rate, we would make 20 grand instead of 10 grand. So there's, they're not taking the time. Uh, they're just so busy on putting out fires and uh, all the other stuff that comes up, right? As business owners. Um, so that that's the, I know it's a simple answer, but really setting aside some dedicated time to look at your business finances and then in turn see how that trickles to affect your personal life um most people don't want to work forever and so having plans in place that allow you should you choose to want to not because you have to um leave your business you know it's it'd be nice to have a safety net there of of a plan
1: yeah i think i think that's something and a lot of us when we first become entrepreneurs it does become about how do we raise revenue quickly how do we really get this thing going and Looking at it from a client attraction standpoint, that can easily translate into you find a couple of referral partners that will send you volume and you'll take on whatever crap they hand you. Does that sound familiar?
2: Sounds very familiar. I mean, uh-huh. I, I literally just bought uh, a bookkeeping firm a couple months ago and we're, we're going through it, and I'm looking at the labor hours and it's like holy cow we got to raise prices on some of these people um well we just we, this is how we did it before like okay no that's cool and there's a reason that the business needed to be sold though so yeah yeah let's let's not put ourselves in a scenario where we're doing work and losing money doing it that's silly
1: oh i i could i couldn't agree more so uh you know switching back to the Switching back to the tax, the uh, the CPA or the tax professionals' perspective on this, I guess the next thing I would I would ask is, uh, you know, let's let's stick with where we are for the moment. Uh, the whole thing about all these hours they have to work, and yeah, I know that even an efficient CPA is going to be putting a lot of hours in uh, during, uh, March and April, which is when a lot of foulings are due. And then there's usually a bumper crop in September and October when all the extensions are due. Mm-hmm. So how do they balance all that stuff and, uh, and, uh, and not become a permanent slave to their business?
2: Well, um, the first step is to realize that it's not healthy. Uh, wh- whether you feel like your business needs you to work 55, 60, 70, 80 hours a week during the busy seasons. Doesn't mean it's healthy. Doesn't mean it's a good idea. Uh, Oftentimes, what happens is they, because they undercharge and they're not making the type of margins they should on their clients, they keep bringing on more work because they think somehow that's going to lead to more net income. But if I'm selling widgets with no margin. It doesn't matter how many widgets I make. I have no margin. Um, that, so that's one of the biggest things is I they most small business accountants that I've come across that I try to help, they undervalue what they actually are bringing to the table. It's like, wow, you saved that guy tens of thousands of dollars. Um, you should be charging more than $200 for the return. So getting them to fix oh, the yeah. pricing is the first step. Um, the next step then is is to have a better way to communicate with your clients. So at, at our firm, this extension season, which is usually September and October, it's not even a big deal for us. No one's working over 40 hours a week because we communicate with our clients all throughout the year. So they know that we want them to get their tax return filed because there's no reason why they shouldn't do it as soon as possible. Um. And most accountants, because they overwork themselves in the beginning of the year, kind of go uh incognito. They disappear for the summer months and then they come back to work hard again, which happens to actually not be really appreciated by their clients because the clients are like, I can't get a hold of you and I have a question. Yeah. Um, so it kind of a combo of pricing plus better systems, uh that. I mean, I'm oversimplifying some of the intricacies of probably what they need to do, but those two things would go a long way for most accountants.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's the case. So the next thing I'm, I'm curious about here is, again, now we're going back to the business owner, is how are we as entrepreneurs leaving money on the table year after year? I know just from some comments we got when we announced this episode was coming out, people wanted me to ask these questions of you. So what, what are, what are some of the things we're doing? And this could be an interesting conversation about what is deductible, what isn't and what should be. Yeah. So go ahead and tell us about some of the things you've seen.
2: Yeah. Let's start with the basic one that is just, yeah. General business owner mindset needs to be if I'm spending money, and I can relate it to my business in any form, shape, or fashion, that makes it a deduction. Um, I won't go into the crazy nitty-gritty of how the IRS defines business expenses that are deductible as ordinary and necessary, which doesn't make any sense. So then they added like this um, additional definition of helpful and appropriate. All of it super vague. So the best thing for the business owner to understand is if they can relate it to their business, meaning it helps their business stay in business or grow in any form, shape, or fashion, then it's a business expense. It needs to be paid for on the business credit card or out of the business account. That's the bare minimum. Uh, and then we ask, usually have people go back and say, well, we'll just go review your statements over this last year. I guarantee you got expenses that you might've paid for on your personal credit card that are really business expenses. Um, so I would say that's first, that's the first foundational step, Adam.
1: Yeah. And, you know, we run into some challenges with that. First of all, I'm going to point out that a few years ago, I ran into somebody who was interested in uh, in starting a business. She worked in corporate, but she was going to take the side hustle to full-time route as far as the entrepreneurial thing. So she wanted to get it started. And one of the questions she had for me was, "Could I speak? You know, could I arrange for her to have a conversation with my CPA?" Sure, I'm happy to refer business. Second question was, "Is uh, well, in general, what do you need to, as far as stuff to have a business?" And she said that she believed. That she would not need to set up a separate checking account for her business because she's really good with QuickBooks and can easily sort out what's on that statement is business and what is personal. I I had to laugh. Right. Uh
2: yeah, you know, um if you're audited, the IRS will always get a copy of all of your bank statements. All of them. Yeah. And if they notice which they will in this case that uh everything's in your personal name and it's just personal accounts you are in for a very unpleasant experience with the IRS and if you have yeah. a, if you actually set up a business from a standpoint of an LLC or an S corp you're even in bigger trouble because the IRS will submit this form to themselves it's weird how they do that but um it's called the alter ego form. And they say, Hey, yeah. this person has a business, but based on how the way they're treating it, they don't really have one. So let's go ahead and tack on an additional 15.3% self-employment tax on top of all the other money they made. Um, very painful. Very Yeah. As a general rule, every business should have a separate business bank account. And I recommend for simplicity of accounting and organization to have a separate business credit card, even if it's in your personal name, identify a card you're going to use that is just for business purposes.
1: Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's a separate conversation of how to get true business credit cards and true business credit. One of the things that I found out very painfully about seven years ago is I had four credit cards in the business that were identified as business cards that even had the word business on them but they were linked to my social security number which means they were showing up on my personal credit that was not my intention my intention mm-hmm. on that was to build business credit so I paid all those off I I use them like a couple times a year just so they don't get canceled on me uh, but the but the but the bottom line with that is that um, yeah yeah it's it's again just not only from a from a from a deductibility standpoint from just from a common sense standpoint to put all your business stuff in one place and all your personal stuff in another place. So, here's another one of those things that's almost a truism and you're probably going to chuckle at the simplicity of this of what I'm about to say. Uh, when I back in 2003 when I decided that that work I was doing on the side for my buddy who had the training and development company, I decided I wanted to re- build a real business out of that. And it evolved into what in today's terminology, we would call a side hustle. The very first thing I did was form a limited liability company and seek a a federal tax ID for the business. That's actually the original reason I hired the CPA is to facilitate the process of getting the business tax ID. And I worked with Nevada corporate planners to get the LLC stuff set up. Uh, So and uh, but after I told people this, they said, well, you know, wh- why are you going through all that? Because my friend who's a lawyer says you could just be a sole prop.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. Go so, ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Please go ahead. Okay. Um, A sole prop. First of all, any good attorney is never going to encourage you to be a sole proprietor.
1: No, Notice how I phrase that. My friend who's a yeah. lawyer, not my <clears throat> lawyer. Right. Because I don't because I don't think if they said my lawyer, they would have been saying that.
2: No, of course not. Because for those of you who don't know now, I'm not an attorney, but I know enough to tell you this. A sole proprietorship, by definition, is you. It means you didn't set anything up. Right. Um, you might have gotten a DBA, which is a Doing Business As, so you have a different name, but
1: it's still oh, like your I, Security number. I heard, I heard that one too. Oh, I don't need a corporation. I got a DBA. Everything's separate. The corporate veil's there. I'm good to go. And I yeah. said, I said, awesome. No. That's great. And excuse myself from the conversation because I, I had to go somewhere and bust out laughing.
2: Yeah. Um. So here, the from a tax standpoint, the reason you want an entity is because, and and this was the next. Thing, anyways, as far as like where are business owners leaving money on the table, Uh, a low hanging fruit is making sure you have the right entity structure. So, the income we make, the IRS likes to call it something like it's either ordinary income, self employment income, passive income. Those are kind of the main three. Uh Well, as a business owner, the type of income you make is considered self employment income. And what that means is you have self-employment tax tied to it. So those of you are maybe aren't aware that's fifteen point three percent. If you're if you get a W two, uh, that you pay half as the employee, the employer pays the other half. Yeah, that's why we call it self-employment tax because you get to pay both halves. Yeah. Um. Now that is a tax. On top of the income tax, you are already going to have to pay regardless of the type of income you have. So as a sole proprietor, all of your net income from the business is going to be taxed with the additional 15.3%. Yeah. Um, Even if you go and get a single member LLC and that's all you do, the IRS calls that a disregarded entity, meaning... They don't give it any regard. They don't think it exists. So you're also going to pay the 15.3% tax on a single member LLC if you didn't make an election to tax it like an
1: S Corp. Right. Um, That's that's why I said I have an 1120 S. Exactly. Yes.
2: Um, Also know if you set up an LLC and there's more than one member the IRS calls that a multi-member LLC and its default status is to be taxed like a partnership. And if you're actively involved, you still have the 15.3% tax tied to it. A passive member of an LLC, uh, of a LLC taxed as a partnership doesn't. So, I mean, you'll want to check with an accountant, but for many uh, business owners who are service-based or (laughs) product-based, chances are you're going to want an S corporation somewhere in your structure.
1: Yeah. I think that's, I think that's like so key. And, you know, with what we're seeing today uh, with how careers work and how the gig economy works and how multiple streams of income is becoming not, so much an entrepreneurial dream, but more like just a way of life for everybody. I think that's where this is headed. It's my firm belief at this point that if you want to really do something good for your kids, uh, get them an LLC for their 18th birthday.
2: Okay. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. Doesn't hurt to have it.
1: Yeah, I, and I've and I've run and I've run into folks who have had challenges with establishing credit. Because a lot of what they do is either cash based or 1099 based, rather than having an entity to run that through. So they're not even documenting income per- properly. They're paying more taxes than they should, uh, and also sometimes they're not paying they're not paying taxes that they should. Where technically, what they're doing may be legal, but what it's doing is it's getting in the way of them having a prosperous lifestyle because it cuts them off from access to credit. Mm, yeah yeah have you seen anything like that
2: um not from the access to credit standpoint we don't get too heavily involved in that with our clients but um i mean i definitely see a lot of my clients teaching their children uh how to even set up a business while they're still in high school yeah so uh 18 might be too late depending on what you're teaching your kids to do Um, yeah I'm currently trying to help my son create an Amazon business. So we got an LLC set up. And uh, yeah, because based on how things are going, I, I don't want him to be reliant on somebody else for his living.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, again, that can be, that can be very, well, really, really challenging. And another thing that I see, and maybe you have some insights on this. So let's say, Anything having to do with your living situation, whether you are looking to buy a house, to take out a mortgage to buy a house, whether you're looking to rent an apartment or uh, or finance a condo or something along those lines, uh, and you have a business entity. And going back to what you said earlier, you should be looking for – and this is correct – Things that support your business and those should be deductions and they should be clearly identified as business expenses coming through a business cash flow mechanism. So what all, uh, so what happens to a lot of us is we end up, you know, for, to put it very simply, expensing a lot of our lifestyle through the business and it's Mm -hmm. perfectly legal to do so. Then when you want to rent something or buy something, Mm -hmm. there are two things that come up over and over in the conversation. (laughs) They're looking for you to have personal income that's X amount of times the mortgage or the rent or something like that. And then just when you think that you've worked your way through the system, some ninth person in the process comes along and says, we need to see your pay stubs. And I say that with mocking derision on purpose.
2: Yeah. Uh, I've definitely seen this there. So there's a few things a business owner should probably be aware of. Um, Well, I, as an accounting firm, we are all about maximizing the tax code to its full extent possible, yeah. keep right? As much savings as possible. Uh, in the scenarios though, because sometimes we are able to write off these expenses that might be more considered living expense than business expense, Um, you may not show enough income to even qualify for the loan. So we do always recommend if it's in the works or you're thinking about it, to speak to an under or a mortgage guy to at least get an idea of how much income you may need to show. Yeah. Because as a business owner, you can choose to be way less aggressive on what expenses you claim, which, you know, increases your taxable income, but the way the mortgage rules work, uh, you'll have the income to show. Yeah. And then on the flip side, what you're saying, I mean, it's, I I'd hate dealing with under underwriters with lending. I mean, it's you can imagine we have thousands of clients. I mean, we are yeah. constantly trying to help our clients get the documentation they need, and um, even those who ask for the W two, if you have business income, they they are going to look at your full business. Yeah. Uh, there, so there's if you have a main W two job and you're just working on a side hustle that's your business, you're probably okay as long as your w2 shows enough income but as soon as you get to the point where your business is what supports you and it's your main source of living they they are going to uncover everything they're always going to have to dig into the business which is not a straightforward process like it is if you're getting a loan based on a w2 and um you know your w2 there's a balance there between what you claim on your W-2 and the way it affects your net income. Yeah. And I, I had a client who did not believe me. And unfortunately, he suffered the cost because of it. He's like, yeah, I need to get a loan. So I'm going to take all my net income and I'm going to put it on a W-2. So what that means is from a tax standpoint, everyone, he, his net, his adjusted gross income, what he pays tax on doesn't change. Right. It's just like a teeter-totter. More is on the side of the W-2 and there's nothing now on the business side where if you would have left the W-2 where it was, he has some still showing his business income. He's like, no, no, I, I want, I want on the W-2. I want to qualify. I'm like, you're a business owner and this is your main source of living. They're going to look at everything. So all he did was unnecessarily pay payroll tax on an additional $70,000 and he didn't end up qualifying for the loan anyways.
1: Yeah. That's, um, see, see, that yeah. see that, and that's one of the things. You go through the work, and then it still doesn't happen. And one of the things that's been an ongoing struggle, not only for myself, but for a lot of people I know, is persuading um, landlords, <laughs> mortgage lenders, uh, credit card companies, whatever, to look at the business. Uh, I mean, if you want to just look at my W-2, you're going to look at that number, and you're going to ask, why don't you work at McDonald's? You'd be better off. Right. Because, 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 because there are these things called shareholder distributions. This is this is why I became proficient in reading my 1120S because I've had to explain this over and over and over again. Where I've had to say, go to page three in section, I think it's 16, line D. I'm, I'm If I'm off, I'm off by one. Look at this number. And then go to page, I think it's 7 of my personal 1040 and notice how this number matches this number. And then it goes into this deduction flow. And this is how you see what the income actually is.
2: I've had hundreds of similar conversations. Yeah, I I don't, I actually don't understand. That industry is another one that's broken. Hey, here's an idea. Let's use tax returns that we don't understand as the main component for us to determine if we should lend money to this person which is the way we make money like it's the dumbest structure yeah. ever
1: well yeah and you, and you also see that a lot in the rental industry and i bring that up because we're seeing this this trend here uh, not only in the united states but throughout the world it's actually away from home, home ownership and more towards perpetual rentership uh, and, there's, and there's a number of factors. First of all, it's the scarcity of available housing. Uh, second, it's, well, I don't even know if this is second, this might actually be first, it's changes in mores of lifestyles. The idea that you're going to, at age 23, decide what your whole life is going to be and you're going to buy a house right down the street from your parents and you're going to spend 30 years paying it off. That's kind of hilarious when people change careers an average of eight times and move to different states an average of four times.
2: Yeah, and then throw in interest rates, uh, yeah. which is you know, the same house at the same price with a higher interest
1: rate is inflation. Have, yeah, yeah, I've I mean I've I've been a renter for all the time I've been on my own, and I've heard the argument that well, you know, you're just giving money away and you're getting nothing back, and it's not an asset, and you're not building anything, and you should buy a house. And I say I'm familiar with all those arguments, I just don't care. Yeah, it doesn't support my lifestyle. Primary a primary, in fact, I would say the primary value on how I live and where I live is portability. If I don't like the management, if things turn sideways, I decide I want to pick up and go to another state or I pick, I just want to pick up and go to another part of town, uh, the only inhibitors I have to that is how long I have left on my 12-month lease and whether or not I'm willing to pay a break fee to get out sooner.
2: Yeah, I think it's critical people start matching the way they run business, they run their life with the way they want to as opposed to just accepting well this is this is the way I was taught. I guess this is the way I do it.
1: Yeah. Right. Right, right. So so again, I think, you know, the rental industry has some some breakage in it because you're still way too much looking at factors that don't apply. To a lot of folks. I mean, where, where do you think people who drive Uber for a living live? I mean, do you think they live in houses? Uh, the nature of their job is transitory. So the nature of their life is probably transitory as well. They're more likely to live in, in an apartment. So they get paid, uh, I think it's direct deposit into their bank account from Uber every so often. I don't know if it's like uh, on a fixed schedule or whether they just go into their balance and pull it out. I'm not sure how that works, but it's uh, but they're not gonna get a taste of because they're responsible for their own taxes. The purpose of a pay stub is to document what was taken out in taxes. Yeah. I, whereas, I, whereas with someone like me or or someone uh, who owns a, a company and uh, and transfers business to personal and vice versa, somebody who's a gig worker, somebody who's a 1099 worker, the definition of all those things in common is we're also responsible for making sure we pay those taxes that an employer would take out if we just did a W-2 lifestyle.
2: Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. um the IRS would like everyone to do every business owner I should say to make estimated payments. Um yeah, they they want that money every 3 months.
1: Well, yeah, and I and I I do that. I I I file my 941s and uh and I make quarterly payments on that. So, and I've and I've always been in the habit of doing that and candidly, I wish more people did because I know so many folks who don't. I also know people who have uh who have Uh, INC, like in corporations or limited liability companies or limited liability partnerships or what have you, who don't take salaries. They just take distributions. And so (laughs) essentially, yeah, they, on the back end, they end up doing their social security and everything else, but there's nothing that shows by default that they're paying anything to society unless they go through three hoops to prove it.
2: Yeah. And what you're referring to there. So if you end up setting up an S corporation, the IRS requires owners of an S corp who work in the business to pay themselves a reasonable wage. Yeah. So um, it is one of the reasons why some people hear that and they're like, oh, then I'm not going to do an S corp. I promise the tax savings and the reduced self-employment tax is totally worth it. Where you will likely be saving more money in taxes than what you would pay a professional to handle your payroll filings for you. Yeah. Um and in the past people haven't done that and so what they do is they basically file their wage on their personal return on a schedule C so that they quote-unquote pay the self-employment tax without actually going through the headache of doing W2 payments. Um I can tell you as of right now, the IRS is cracking down on that and it's just better to do the formal W-2 quarterly 941 filings if you find yourself in that S-corp boat. Uh
1: Yeah. Yeah. And if, uh, I mean, so a question I like to ask, and this is, uh, and some people find this provocative is why, why do a lot of porn stars work as realtors? I don't know. Well, it's real simple. Real, uh, being a realtor is a sunlight job that allows you to, within reason, set your own hours so you can sell houses around the photo shoots. And then you have a place to run the money so you can show it to the government and it's legitimate income. Hmm. Yeah, we have a lot of that here in Las Vegas, particularly. And you also see a lot of that in Southern California. So it's something I'm kind of familiar with. So, and it goes, and it just goes, it just you know very graphically illustrates the the whole point of, to me, it's valuable to participate in the system because of the benefits it gets you. And there are other ways of getting the savings. So you may think that, oh, I'm just going to skip the W-2, but then that 15.9% is going to hit you. And then not only that, but, that's the first thing that people who are looking to ask questions. That's the low hanging fruit for them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, so yeah, I do take a, I do take what uh, what I've been advised by two people is a reasonable salary, and I do take a significant portion in distributions as well. But I also keep the formula very simple. So when I get asked about it fifty times a year, I know I know it by heart. <laughs> and 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 forty nine out of, and forty nine out of fifty, it only takes me a minute to explain it to them, and they understand. Yeah. So now let's get into cash flow management. And I think this is where this is headed. So, first of all, what stage of business is it important to have this? And uh, <laughs> what I'd like you to do, if possible, is tie cash flow management to tax planning because there's a correlation there that sadly not enough people I know see.
2: Okay. <clears throat> so, you know, whether you're in business, ha- have been in business for 10 years, 20 years, whether you're in a growth stage or you're a mature business and you're just looking to keep the revenue the same or you're a startup, cash flow management is necessary because at any point or stage in your business, you have cash. It needs to be managed. It's just that simple. Cash is king, uh, it's the lifeblood of your business. So, When we talk about cash flow management, the first thing I got to explain is this thing called Parkinson's law. And what it says is it, it says the demand for something will expand to match its supply. So think about it this way. Most business owners have a bank account, one bank account. That bank account is a pile of supply in the form of cash. The demand for that cash will continue to expand until there's no more cash left to spend. Oh, yeah. Um, that's Parkinson's Law. So, what we say when it comes to cash flow management is we, we're like, okay, we need to set ourselves up in a scenario where we give ourselves a fake sense of reality that we have less money to spend than we really do. And the way we do that is we recommend setting up a couple other business bank accounts. So, that we can set aside some money into those for things we know that are gonna happen. For example, as the owner, I love my team and they're very important, but I am the most important employee of my company. Owners are the most important employee of their company. So, having a bank account specifically dedicated to owners' pay, making sure the owner gets paid at least something reasonable. Um, So that they don't get burnt out and close down the business. Very critical. Yeah. Um, As you manage your cash better and the hopes are you have a profitable business, you're going to owe tax. Yeah, we're going to minimize it, but you're still going to owe something. Uh, So setting aside money for tax, also super important. Um, A third category we like is, okay, you're working in the business. We have the owner's pay account to take care of you for that. But you also took a risk as the owner that none of your other team members did, which is owning the business. Look, if your business fails, they're going to go out and get another job somewhere else. You, you're you left with a, a business that closed and sometimes that can take years to unravel some of that stuff. Um, So the risk that you should be rewarded for, right? You took it on, you should get a reward in turn. Wall Street calls that ROI, return on investment. You have equity ownership. So there should be an account set aside for profit distribution, which also the way we use it has a secondary benefit that it also starts accruing a bit of a cash reserve balance for you because it's, I'm sure people have heard from an individual standpoint having three to six months of uh, your expenses in savings is healthy and you know good same idea with business you don't want to be living business life paycheck to paycheck either yeah um so those are th- three categories we like. um the way cash flow management ties in specifically to tax planning I, I don't know if, anyone listing has ever been in this situation, but you probably haven't, but you probably know other business owners who have. It comes April. You get your tax return back from your accountant. Uh, they do, sorry. They get their tax return back from their accountant. And it says you owe 2,000, 3,000, $10,000. And they think, uh, how is that possible? Where's that money? I don't know. Uh-huh. I don't have that I,
1: I That happened to me. That happened to me one year. We had an extremely <laughs> profitable year. And um, and then at the end of it, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm finding out from my CPA, he says, uh, he tells me, before we file this, we might want to look again at your um, deduction strategy for the previous year, because you're going to have a hefty tax bill. Tax bill. So we got to dig a little bit deeper and see if there's anything else that we can claim here. And uh, that number is actually very similar to what I was told. And as soon as I heard that number, I'm thinking, Okay so if my, so if i so if i did so well in that business that you i have this money. much liability where the hell did that money go
2: mhm and so without a plan parkinson's law is what happens right we spent it on other stuff hey, we're business owners we we're optimistic i'm going to invest in this it's going to result in this and and we just the money's in the account i see it let's spend it so with a proper cash flow management system like we're uh-huh. suggesting we we recommend people sit down once a week or twice a month, either one of those frequencies, but one of those two frequencies is is really best practice. And you set aside a small amount of your income into these accounts. Right. So as you're going, so I might only set aside a thousand or two thousand dollars per time, but at the moment it doesn't hurt me. I can Run my business without that money,
1: and it adds up. It adds up fast. You know, it I'll adds tell up real fast. Yeah, I'll tell you t- I'll t- another thing. Um, about a year ago, I got eight thousand dollars from a private funding source. Uh, dropped it in the business checking account, and then forty-five days later, I blinked. It's like, how is this bank account down to thirty-two dollars? What the hell happened to eight thousand dollars? And mm-hmm. know the you know what the best part is, I looked. I looked at my bank statements. I couldn't find anything extraordinary. But I'll tell you what happened is. I got a little lax. I stopped paying mm-hmm. attention because I thought, oh, there's a lot of money in the account. I don't have to obsess over this. But see, now I know because I've gotten other cash injections. I've gotten paid on on uh, podcast reach projects, which are high ticket. And I've developed a discipline. And When this money comes in, grab that money or a piece of that money and just put it in a separate account or into a separate place where there's no way possible that it could get deducted by ACH by any ordinary daily expense.
2: Exactly. And that yeah. is where, really what we're doing is we're setting up boundaries around this cash so that it's being protected. And as you said, it adds up. So our our clients who run this method, you know, they'll get to April and they might have that initial like, whoa, I owe 10 grand in tax. Then they'll look at their tax account and they've saved $15,000 and they're like, oh, Cool. I already have the yeah. money, and I oversave, so now I can take the other five thousand and you know do whatever I want with it.
1: They 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 have, they have a choices. So thirteen thousand dollars, and you find out you have a tax liability of two thousand. Take that out. You got eleven grand left. So you have a lot of things you can do. You can spend the eleven grand on investments. Uh, you can say, okay, well, I don't need eleven grand either. So I'm going to take five grand. I'm going to invest that, but now I still have the six. So next time I have a really profitable year and I wonder where the hell the money went, well, here it is. And then I'll put a little bit more in the meantime, so I'll be good again. Yeah,
2: Or you can buy $6,000 of Reese's Peanut Butter Cups.
1: You can do that too. <laughs> and uh, and, and uh, depending on the opportunities of your life, you could possibly resell them. <laughs> <laughs> that, that man, ba- man, back in February of 2020, I should have thought about toilet paper. Right. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I remember that story of these um of these people that uh, when when COVID became a thing, they went around to every store in their town and like five neighboring towns and bought all the hand sanitizer, like all of it. Mm-hmm. And they and they and they, and, they, and I saw the pictures. They had this this big room that was just stacked with boxes of hand sanitizer, and they tried to sell it online for exorbitant rates uh-huh. and got shut down. That's right. And uh, there was public outrage over this. And I think the mistake that they made is how egregious they were mm-hmm. with it. Actually, what they were doing is simply participating in capitalism, supply and demand. They saw an upcoming demand. So they invested in inventory so they could supply it. Now, let's, I'm going I'm to make up numbers here because I don't even know off the top of my head. Let's say a bottle of hand sanitizer costs $3. So you know that there's going to be a big demand on it. So you buy, you, you, you pull together a few thousand dollars, you buy a bulk, whole bunch of hand sanitizer. Um, then the demand hits and the stores get emptied. Now you have this cachet of hand, of hand sanitizer. So now instead of charging $20 a bottle, whatever ridiculous rate they were going for, which, uh, which set off all the alarm bells in the first place, now you start selling it for $5 a bottle a little bit at a time. They probably would have flown right under radar and got all their return on investment back, mm-hmm. plus a hefty profit.
2: Even if they in doubled fact, if it. it you yeah, mean, in fact,
1: if in fact they marketed that properly, they could have been viewed as good Samaritans.
2: Yeah. Instead instead of just doubling the price, they like 100x it or something crazy. Exa- exa-
1: exactly like that. So if I pay $3 for something and sell it for $5, I mean, that's a... That's a I I I can't remember how the math works, but that's like 166% ROI or something like that, or 66 percent profit, or however you want to categorize mm-hmm. that. That's pretty yep. good.
2: Yeah, you're not getting that in other places. Yeah, yeah. exactly.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, and, and with and with the demand for that stuff, yeah. You yeah, if they would have just sold it a little a little bit at a time on different platforms, they would have flown onto radar and uh made a mint. Mm-hmm. It's just going back it's just going back to your point, not taking the time, even if it's twice a month, uh just an hour, or if you have a or if you have a cash windfall, saying pause and grabbing a piece of that and just moving it aside because you don't need it right now. But if it's there and it's easily available, it will get used. like uh like the case of my eight thousand uh, dollar private loan, it just evaporated right I and, and I also said, I didn't spend or invest in anything extraordinary. I just got a little lax on marketing and didn't bring in any, any high-ticket t- deals for six weeks uh, because I thought, oh, I have time. So I let my hustle go and won my money. Whereas if I had grabbed grab that money and said, okay, $2,000, we are going to leave in the other six grand. I'm setting over to the uh, Rainy Day Fund. Well, yeah, I got $2,000. That's nice. And uh, now I'm motivated to go get the other six through other means.
2: Yeah. It's such a simple behavior to adapt. And those of our clients that we've helped with do this, they get to the point because it's pretty easy to adapt once you get it done a couple of times. They'll even go to the the next step and say like, okay, I know that I have this expense every year and it's always a lot of money. I'm actually going to start setting aside money into another account. Just for that, so I I do this myself. I have I call it my known big expense account, Uh which I'm glad I do because honestly, right now September fifteenth to October fifteenth, my tax software bill comes due, my CRM comes due. I have a couple memberships come due. Yep, and I have a it's like an extra hundred and thirty thousand dollars of expenses that are not in my normal monthly flow. Right. And in the past years, I've had to put it on a credit card and pay it off over the next couple of months uh-huh. where by setting aside money, it's like, okay, I got the money. I, I pay it off. Everything's great. And now I saved myself on the interest expense on my credit card. And now I just start setting aside money again, because well, it doesn't hurt me every yeah. month. I'm just setting aside a little bit.
1: Well, yeah. Well, here's another thing just to cap off. And this is real low level. And I'm surprised that so many people don't know this, particularly in entrepreneurship. Uh, two parts of this. Uh, One of the masterminds I belong to, uh, it's $500 a month. Now, my payment is due not monthly, but every 30 days. So, you know, that means that the payment gradually slides backwards. And uh, as it slides backwards, it hits different points in my regular cash flow, which means it could be in a wax period or it could be in a wane period. Mm. So I had these business credit cards paid off and I wanted to keep them active just so that they don't get shut down on me, because I like having all that credit available. So I took one of them and use it to pay for the mastermind. And then I have automatic payments set up on that card for the same amount. So every month, every month, it gets all the way paid off. What's really cool is that card is particularly generous when it comes to cashback rewards. And that mastermind expense qualifies for the cashback rewards. So I'm getting a piece of my mastermind paid for simply because I'm paying for the mastermind and I'm not, and I'm no longer fretting. Well, you, well, that, uh, that, that monthly due is going to slide back from the third to the 27th and that's going to be the same day that this happens. All that's gone now. And then here's the other thing Uh, we invest in things as entrepreneurs. We, you know, masterminds, we go to seminars, we buy information products and uh, they're kind of high ticket. Let's uh, you remember a few years ago that, Seemed seems like every information product out there that was any good, they were all 1997 $1,997, and there was always a six payment option, which actually had a pretty hefty premium to it. So you end up paying like $2,400 mm-hmm. for it. Yep. So let's say you don't have 1997 or let's say you have the 1997 but you don't want to just hand that cash over all in one chunk. You have an empty business credit card that has a cashback rewards program. Use that credit card. Pay, use that to take the single pay option, just the 1997, and then log into your online portal for that credit card. Uh, take that 1997 dollars divide it by six, and then have that be your automatic monthly payments on that card. And uh, between those six payments and a little bit of leftover left over after payment seven, uh you'll come out way ahead i mean yeah you'll pay a little bit in interest but it's not like an extra 500 dollars. and if there's cash back and that purchase qualifies you may not only negate the interest but actually get a few dollars back yeah we Plus, plus, plus plus it's another payoff on your record which can't hurt
2: for sure establishing good credit um yeah so i we use credit cards as well i I think it's important for people to know who, like, accept who they are. I have some clients that have gotten themselves to so much trouble with credit cards. Oh, yeah. And, and so not a great idea. But a lot of our clients, and I would say most business owners are pretty disciplined. So we do the same thing. Now, look, I know no one became a millionaire off of the benefits from their credit cards. However, right. there are benefits. Like, I have great airline status with Southwest and American Airlines. Right all through my credit card. Um, and I, I log when I sit down and put money into these different buckets, like I'm suggesting here, I, I do everything I suggest. I pay off my credit card at the same time. So I'm getting the benefit from whatever, you know, kickbacks they're getting for their merchant charges or sharing yeah. a little bit of it with us. Right. Yeah. Uh, I get that benefit and yeah, I'm, no one's a millionaire, but I've been able to take my family of six to florida and california for free uh-huh. uh huh. so yeah just for spending money on a card that i was already spending
1: yeah 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 the, the key to this is is don't float stuff without a plan to pay it off use the card get the benefits but don't just load them up with stuff that you have an indetermined date you're going to pay it off. Uh, so like I use the example of the, uh, the mastermind, also like the 1997 purchase, there's a specific payoff plan that goes behind that. So it's not like I'm just building up a bunch of debt. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and then, like the 1997 model, well, if you were going to make the six payments on an information product, you were going to have five additional hits on your checking account anyway. So all you're doing is transferring who the payee is.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and saving, saving, and saving on, uh, saving on premium charges, and possibly getting cash back. So yeah. as we're, so, we're at the top of the hour here, and I'd love to keep chatting on this for hours and hours and hours. I think you can tell I love this topic. But what I want to do now is for those of you who have listened to this and may have had some realizations that what you thought was an airtight plan for managing your cash flow, handling your taxation, your business structure, and how it supports these things but might want to give it a second look or may decide that now is the time to work with somebody who truly understands this and can also do it efficiently for you, go to John Briggs' website. It's at insighttax.com. I-N-C-I-T-E tax.com. When you visit that website, uh, as of this recording, you know, websites adjust, but you're going to see a lot of resources there. You're going to see the various services they offer. Um, There's a resource center with a blog. Uh, There's some videos. Uh, There's some other stuff. You have the opportunity to uh, get some free, simple strategies on how to crush your taxes and keep more money by utilizing wealth creating strategies. It's all there. Go check it out. That's at insighttax.com. And with that, John Briggs, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor, believe me, in education.
2: Thanks for having me, Adam.